Welcome to the UMMC Bible Study Podcast, a podcast produced with students at UMMC. My name is Tim Chen, and I'm a former graduate of the UMC Medical School. Currently, I'm a family physician practicing in Mississippi. The goal of our podcast is to help our students and their families grow closer with the Lord and stronger in their faith and walk with God. With the rigors of school, it can be difficult to spend time with the Lord as well as fellowship with other believers. We hope that this podcast uplifts you during this challenging time and encourages you in your journey with God. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another podcast produced by Christians at UMMC. Today I have a special guest, Dr. Paul Redman. He's a former UMMC medical student and is now a practicing physician in pediatric emergency medicine. We're glad to have you back on, Paul. Hey Tim, glad to be back. Really enjoying the podcast every week. Well, Paul, the last two podcasts were quite intense. We saw that in the end of Romans 1, Paul the Apostle really painted our bleak future. In Romans 2, in the beginning of 3, he really showed that even our best response, even if we tried our best to do everything right, there was no hope for us. There's no way we could ever meet God's standard. Romans 3.23 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everyone, Paul. We all fell short. We had no hope. But praise the Lord, He didn't leave us there. He came. In John 1.29 it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died for us. He took our sin on the cross and He shed His blood to satisfy God's righteous requirement. That's awesome. However, in today's reading in Romans 3 and 4, Paul writes that our salvation is much deeper and more complete than even we realize. In my experience, the more you understand something, the more you appreciate it, right? When my children appreciate the eye, they appreciate the eyeball and the fact that you can see with the eye. But when we appreciate the eye, we appreciate the cornea, the lens, the vitreous humor, right? How the muscles can contract and let light in or prevent light from coming in. I know I'm giving the students PTSD from Gross Anatomy mentioning these things. But the point is this. The more you understand your salvation, the more it causes you to worship God for His plan and His work. And today we want to see the anatomy of our salvation. The parts, the thoroughness of our salvation. In addition, we also want to see the physiology of our salvation. How it works in real time. I didn't plan on getting so sciency, but I think when we see this, we will just fall on our knees and worship God for so great a salvation. So without further ado, let's get today's verses. We will be reading in Romans 3, 22 and 24 through 26, and then the whole of Romans chapter 4. Even the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ to all those who believe being justified freely by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation place through faith in His blood for the demonstrating of His righteousness, in that in His forbearance God passed over the sins that had previously occurred, with a view to the demonstrating of His righteousness in the present time, so that He might be righteous and the one who justifies Him who is of the faith of Jesus. Now there's a lot of deep thoughts going on here. There are words like justified, 
redemption, and propitiation place, or some translation translated atonement. I'm going to open the floor to you, Paul. Can you tie all these things together for us? Well, I don't know if I can tie all these things together, but I'm certainly happy to talk about them. For me, you know, going back to your example of the eyeball, it was when I learned about the rods and the cones and the way those things work to differentiate light waves and receive signals and process them back to the brain. It's just incredible, and I feel like it's the same, just like you said, getting into all these subtleties of the word regarding our redemption and our justification and reconciliation, it just makes you appreciate the wisdom of our Almighty God. Just incredible. So I'm just going to see about maybe parsing these words apart that you mentioned. Um, The first one in verse 24 is the word justified. Um, And I went and looked it up, and I really like the definition on dictionary.com of all places. It says that Justified, definition number one, is having been shown to be just or right. And I think it's funny that the context of verse 24 comes after Paul, the apostle, has just spent all of Romans 1 and Romans 2 and even the first part of Romans 3 showing us how we have zero basis at all to be found just or right in the eyes of God. And that really brings the emphasis in this verse to light that Paul is now saying, but you are justified. You are found to be just or right freely by his grace. And so our justification is a matter of how we are viewed in the eyes of God. To become justified means to become righteous before God. It means to become just and right in the eyes of our Father God. You know, God has the highest standard of righteousness, and that is meted out through the entire Old Testament. He gave the law, and nobody could meet the requirements of the law. And Paul has just emphasized this again in the prior chapters here in Romans, that no matter how good you are, no matter how much of the law you follow, you will always fail. You will always find a way to fail. And God's righteousness is the cause of that. We can never live up to God's righteousness. If it wasn't for God's righteousness, I'd think I'd been a pretty good guy. I'd think I'd accomplished something. But it's because God has a standard of righteousness that is completely unable to be met by my own ability. I have a failure. I have failures daily. I have failures, you know, throughout my whole life. And there is no way that I could be justified. No matter how hard I try, I really like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. He says that he does not want to be found in his own righteousness. That's verse 9. Not being found in my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is out of God and based on faith. And it's that righteousness which is is given to us freely by his grace, as Paul talks about here in chapter 3, verse 24. It's that righteousness that justifies us. Because when we believe in the Lord Jesus, we receive him as our substitute, as our replacement. And God looks at us and he says, now you are righteous. You are justified. And how is this possible? It's through the second word that you mentioned. It's through redemption. 
It's through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, according to the same verse, verse 24. And although we may use these words interchangeably, we may say I'm justified, we may say I'm redeemed, there's a difference. As we said, justification is a matter of righteousness and meeting God's righteous requirement. Well, redemption is actually a matter of paying a price. It has to do with being bought, being purchased. Well, God, through his son, Jesus, and by the shedding of Jesus' blood, paid the price. That was the ultimate price required to bring us back to God. It's not because we paid the price. It's not because we did anything. It's not because we were good people. It's not because now, even after we've been redeemed, that we can do anything. Our justification is entirely based on the blood of Jesus. Amazing. And I just want to develop this a little. We do not have the ability to pay. The cost of our sin, the cost of our offense against God's righteousness was way too high. And he knew that. So he sent his son to pay the price. We had a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. But that just shows his deep love toward us. It makes you just want to praise him. I'm about to get carried away. But I don't want to short our listeners on this next word because I feel like it even further shows the amazing completeness of God's salvation. So that brings us to this third word that you mentioned, which actually is pretty confusing if you look at all the different translations. But one word is propitiation, another one is atonement, um, and another one is propitiation place. And so in order to really understand this, you have to go back to the original Greek There's a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, and this was the translation that most of the people used in the time of uh, Jesus and the time of the early church fathers. It's called the Septuagint. And this translation in the Old Testament, when it's talking about the cover of the Ark of the Testimony, remember in the temple there was the Ark, Even there was that movie made about it, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Everybody's been searching for the Ark. Well, the Ark had a lid on it that, you know, covered it. And inside were different things. We won't get into that. But there was a lid on the Ark. And that lid was where the priest would go into the temple. He would sprinkle the blood of the offering. And in between the two cherubim that were on that lid, that is where God would meet with the high priest, and communicate with man. That was the place, and that was the way that God had designated to communicate with man. And that sounds really crazy until you get into the New Testament and you see that actually that place is just a type of Christ as our meeting place with God. So in the Septuagint, It translates, or the Greek word is hilasterion, with an H, hilasterion. That's the word for what the, I think, most translations call the mercy seat, or the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Well, that is the same Greek word used in Romans 3.25, where it says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation, or as an atonement, or, if you want to be more exact, 
as a mercy seat or a propitiation place. You basically just need to realize what Paul is saying there is that God set forth Christ Jesus as the lid of the ark. <laughs> That's literally what it says. Um, and Paul is saying he set forth Christ as our meeting place with God. And propitiate which is the word here uh, in many translations. That's not a word we use regularly, so I'll look that one up. And propitiate means to gain or regain the favor or goodwill of someone. And so this spot on the lid of the ark in the Old Testament was where man, where God could communicate with man without any blockage because the blood was there. So on that lid, God could meet with the people who broke his righteous law, and he could do this governmentally without any contradiction to his own righteousness. That's what the blood allowed him to do. Well, in the New Testament, in our present day situation, obviously we don't have the temple or the mercy seat anymore, but we have the blood of Jesus, who in verse 24 we see redeemed us, purchased us back, and has justified us. And where do we experience this? We experience it in Christ, because he is this meeting place. I think my mind is about to explode, but I just want to re-emphasize this again. In my younger Christian years, my knowledge of my salvation was pretty shallow. I thought I was going to be saved from hell to go to heaven, and heaven was going to be a golf course where I could play golf with all my Christian friends one day. God would be doing his thing, and we would be playing golf and eating buffets or something like that. But according to Romans, no. Our salvation is so much more than that. Not only are we justified according to God's righteousness and redeemed back to Him, but now we can have fellowship. Not in the future, right now. We can have free-flowing fellowship with the righteous, holy God of the universe. Why? Not only because of Christ's righteous payment, not only because of His redeeming blood, but because he is this propitiation place. He is where we can have fellowship with God without the fear of our shortcomings, without being ashamed of our sins. He's dealt with all that. Now today, we can have fellowship with him openly and without reservation. Amazing. Well, Paul, I think it's time to transfer a little bit to the physiology side. How do we experience this wonderful and amazing salvation? I would say the means by which all of this is accessed or activated in our experience is in verse 22 and in verse 28. And that word is faith. It is only by faith, and that is all that's required here, in order to meet Christ at the propitiation place or as our propitiation place. We simply have to believe in him. And when we come to him, when we approach him and turn to him, tell him that we receive him and that we love him, what happens is he, his righteousness becomes our righteousness because he's purchased us by his redemption. And when we receive that redemption, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And when God looks at us, he justifies us. He considers us justified. And this is not based on our works. This is not based on our fulfilling the law. This is not based on our condition. If we forget about the law, it is based on one thing and one thing alone, and that is the blood of Jesus, which satisfies every single one of God's righteous requirements. And how do we access that? We access it simply by believing in him. And even though we can never lose our salvation, 
day after day, we can almost re-experience this sense of justification and this sense of propitiation and of being well-pleasing to God simply by turning to the Lord every day, by approaching Him, by spending time with Him, by growing in our walk with Him. Wow, Paul, that makes so much sense why Paul brings in Abraham in Romans 4. I was just thinking, here Paul the Apostle is talking about justification and redemption, and he could have had plenty of stories to talk about from the Old Testament. He could have talked about the Passover lamb or maybe God offering animals for Adam and Eve. But no, in the matter of justification, he brings in the story of Abraham. Why is that? And now it makes perfect sense. It's faith. That's how all this is activated. You know, we got into the story of Abraham in our Genesis podcast series. And when we were getting into it, you realize actually Abraham really didn't have a lot of faith. In fact, he was full of failures, just like us. But something happened to Abraham. If you guys remember in Acts 7-2, Stephen said that the God of glory appeared to Abraham. Abraham in himself didn't have much faith. But God came and appeared to him, and appeared to him, and appeared to him. And it was in all those appearings that Abraham became filled with faith. In one commentary I read, it said that Abraham's faith was actually a reaction to God's appearing. And we're the same, like Abraham, right? We don't have a lot of faith at all. We might say we do, but any little thing comes along and instantly we're back in our own mind, in our own feelings. We're not fellowshipping with God at the propitiation place. We don't feel that we can approach God because we failed. We feel ashamed and confused, and no amount of positive thinking or mindfulness or meditation can get us out of that spot. But guess what? All we need is a little turn, a small calling out to God, and bam! He appears, and then what happens? We see the blood for our redemption, and by faith, we apply it to our failure, right? We confess our shortcomings, and Jesus forgives and tells us, We're justified. Our faith is strengthened. And in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God's throne is no longer a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. We can come to fellowship, to be supplied, to be saved. This is how amazing our salvation is. And we can activate all this blessing, not by trying harder, but by looking to Jesus right now, the author and perfecter of our faith. How awesome and complete is our salvation. And again, it's not just for the future, but it's for right now. It's for every day, right, Paul? We need that every day. We need to hear the Lord, know Him more, appreciate Him more, treasure Him more, because When we do that, God causes more faith to be generated within us. And we all need more faith every day because we're bombarded by so many things in our human situation and in our human life. We need more faith. We need more faith in what God is doing. And so the best way to do that is to come to Him again and again, treasure Him, spend time with Him. And by doing so, what He does is He even becomes the faith within us. If you read carefully, especially in this portion in Romans um, and elsewhere, I think Romans and Galatians are good spots. It specifically says the faith of 
Jesus Christ, not just the faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's something to be said for this faith being even generated by the Lord himself within us. It's almost like it's his faith that he's instilling into our being day after day. And so I pray and I hope that we would all seek the Lord daily so that we could have more faith. Let's leave it there. Thanks again, Paul, for your time and your insight concerning justification, redemption, propitiation, and faith. After hearing this, I feel my appreciation of my salvation is so much bigger. Share this with your friends, because we feel everyone needs to hear the full gospel of God. Again, follow us on Facebook to get the most up-to-date information concerning our live Bible studies that will be coming back in the fall. If you would like more commentary or reading material about what we're getting into, feel free to contact us on Facebook as well. Until next time, may you contact the Lord daily. Let Him shine on you and steal you with His faith so that you can enjoy His rich salvation moment by moment. See y'all next week. Just clap for me Let me hide myself in thee